This Week in HPC. Checking in at the OCP Summit. And machine learning masters an ancient game. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, it's another big week in hyperscale this week in HPC. It's getting to where we're going to need a separate podcast. Yeah, and it is big news. I mean, the, the OCP summit that, that you went to had a lot lot of interesting news on the hyperscale space and and leaking over into the HPC space as well. Um, but let's let's delve into that immediately. Uh, you went to that summit that had a lot of interesting topics and some news around it as well. There was a lot of news at OCP Summit. This is, of course, for Open Compute Project, which is an initiative mostly associated with Facebook, though it has a lot of different members. And uh, this is their annual summit to talk about trends in hyperscale and these configurations that you know, Facebook, Jason Taylor, kicked off with a presentation where he talked about this goal of no hardware lock-in and no pointless differentiation. And maybe the biggest news out of all of them was that uh, OCP has a new member with Google joining at the platinum level. And they seem to be focusing primarily on uh, the power efficiency at the rack level. They were talking about their 48-volt racks. Right. That, that seems like huge news to me, even though the the contribution at this point is fairly small, just with the sort of the rack standard, the rack power standard. I mean, Google was, was sort of the holdout or one of the big holdouts for the OCP uh, consortium there. I mean, Microsoft joined a while ago. Obviously, Facebook initiated the whole thing. I think the only really big holdout in the U.S. or North American side is Amazon. With But with Google joining, uh, there might be some pressure on, on Amazon and maybe some of the smaller hyperscale companies to, to join in. Yeah, there really could be if this really starts consolidating. Now, you, you were saying U.S. quite appropriately. We've talked previously on our podcast about the Chinese companies in hyperscale and how they have their own initiatives around uh, Scorpio or Beijing that Baidu is primarily driving. But as far as the U.S. companies go, uh, this has been uh, definitely very interesting. You mentioned Microsoft. Mark Rasinovich, who's the CTO of Microsoft, Microsoft Azure gave a keynote talk about uh, Microsoft's contributions to, to open computing, and in particular, their open cloud server or OCS product. And uh, their contributions were, I think, really heavily focused on the networking side. There was a lot of open networking content here, most notably um, something that Microsoft was calling SAI, a switch abstraction interface. This allowed network applications to talk to custom ASICs from whomever you like, from Broadcom or Barefoot or Mellanox. If there's a custom ASIC there, now my network application can talk to that ASIC with a standard interface. And then along with that, they had another initiative called SONIC, which was a contrived acronym for software for open networking in the cloud. Same sort of thing, trying to provide a standard set of uh, network, uh, network standards and APIs for these uh, network applications. Yeah, and, and Intel was was there as well. They had not really a, an announcement, but sort of a, a sort of a future guideline here. They're they're building um, CPUs with uh, FPGAs incorporated in them, so these sort of dual 
uh, heterogeneous ships that they talked about at the very beginning when they uh, when they bought Altera. Uh, looks like that that roadmap is uh, definitely in in process there, and they're talking about they're going to release some of these ships for some of these uh, hyperscale type uh, platforms in the in the very near future. Yeah, that was out of all the things I tweeted. If you were following along my Twitter handle at Addison Snell, you would have seen some of the pictures and notes I was taking at the show. But out of the different things I mentioned, that announcement seemed to be the one that captivated most people's attention. The idea of having a single package Broadwell CPU plus the um, the Alt- the Altair Aria 10 FPGA single package, um, and uh, also they were looking at things like bandwidth growth through silicon photonics. They've got an open telemetry platform called Snap. They've got a trusted analytics platform called Tap. Definitely, uh, Intel was driving a lot of the, uh, of the the new content going in there, and not just a concept with that. Broadwell plus FPGA chip. He he had one. He was holding up and and showing to the crowd. So uh, it wasn't right. just slideware. Right, and that's obviously going to be of interest to our HPC uh, users in the traditional sense as well. I mean, they're obviously uh, talking about it in the OCP hyperscale context here, but those have a broad applicability because of uh, across uh, the other areas that we we talk about on a more regular basis. But yeah, very interesting. Uh, announcement there and but it also points to something sort of strange to me I mean you talk about all these OCP uh, ecosystem partners and it's, it seems like you know these are all standards and and people are contributing to the ecosystem I I don't know what wouldn't really fit under OCP anymore I mean there's there's a you know there's numerous standards there's numerous technologies and apis and it seems like just a collection of sort of this disparate group of of, of hardware and software standards that uh, I'm not sure what what is gluing them all together. Well, what they have in common, I think, is they're all focused on scalability and, and sure. everything that implies, with especially power efficiency at that kind of scale. And we see some of our, our traditional companies that we've known and loved in the HPC space for a long time that are having success playing there. HPE had a had a big booth. Uh, Seagate, which we associate with the cluster store line, had a new flash-based product that that they were uh, demoing in a in a stack velocity rack that was. A, a fast flash-based product. There was a lot of talk about 100 gigabit Ethernet, right. um, and, and Mellanox was there with their 100 gigabit Ethernet uh, NICs and switches that, that they were showing off. Facebook was talking about the the uh, the increases in bandwidth and how Facebook would be all 100 gigabit Ethernet by the end of the year. They said by January 17, uh, 2017. So uh, definitely a, a lot going on with these these high performance parts. But to your point. You know, they talk about no pointless differentiation. That did make me arch my eyebrow a little bit because, <laughs> I mean, who who would do differentiation and say it's pointless, right? Any of the differentiation is supposed to have a point, right? And and I think you are seeing that with this proliferation of high performance products going into OCP. Right, and I think at, at some point. Uh, if this all comes to pass and there's enough critical mass here, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see all the Scorpio standards and all the work being done with the uh, some of the Chinese uh, 
hyperscale companies get folded under OCP or maybe the other way around or maybe forming uh, another super consortium on top of this because it seems like they're all wanting to go in the same direction. They're going to set up all these hardware, software standards and APIs so that, you know, the companies can sort of pick and choose uh, some of these uh, some of these components and, and build their their systems based on that. But in a sense, I don't see anything really different uh, from uh, what's going on in Scorpio and what's going on in OCP. That those two could not uh, come together and form some super. Uh, standard uh, consortium. Maybe, but you know, it could just remain separate. I, at, at the ODM level, if you think about the Quantas, or you know, Quanta wasn't even there that I saw, but WeWin was, and and they had a very strong presence. These ODMs have an ability to just say, if there's enough volume, they'll build out to the standard. So there might right. not be a lot of motivation for for these to merge. I think the real wild card there might be the telecom industry, which is, in some sense, the original hyperscales. I mean, right. telecom's been building out huge IT infrastructures for a long time at scale, and now it, it's kind of in this funny space. Is it part of hyperscale? Is it separate from hyperscale? It, it seems like they've got a lot of applications that meet the definitions that, that we would be using there. And Rachel King of the Wall Street Journal was moderating an entire telecom panel with representatives from Deutsche Telekom, SK Telecom, AT&T, Verizon, and they're talking about all these same common issues. So, if the telecom industry, which spends a lot of money, is is going to go one direction or another, that that could be a wild card in the in the hyperscale space. But you know, you still have certain types of specialized applications. Even Facebook, which talks about non-differentiation, has their own Big Sur platform they're using for artificial intelligence, and you know that's different from the uh, the the SKUs they're using for other parts of their hyperscale infrastructure. Right, and I think that is the strength of OCP. It's not a one-size-fits-all standard. It's basically, you know, you sort of pick from a menu here of of all the of all the standards that apply to what you want to do, and you put it together. And, but it's all sort of at a at a standardized level. But um, I think the challenge here is to sort of keep keep all this sort of under the same moniker. I mean, some of these standards are going to fall by the wayside because they won't have the volume, but others won't, and they'll be picked up, and they'll get the, the critical mass they need for, for vendors to adhere to them. Now, speaking of artificial intelligence, let's touch quickly on our other hyperscale story this week <laughs> in HPC. Keeping with Google for a second, we've talked a lot about artificial intelligence and machine learning, but here it is getting applied to something that's been around for an awfully long time. Yeah, I mean, the, it is definitely a big AI story, artificial intelligence story, and a deep learning story. It's Google has developed this program called AlphaGo, which is a uh, an artificial intelligence piece of software that plays Go, which is this ancient Chinese program that dates back, I guess, 3,000 years. And it's a strategy game that's played across a 19 by 19 grid uh, where players place black and white stones on the grid, and the object is to surround uh, their opponent and capture the territory on the grid. And you basically win by capturing territory. Rule set, you know, is very simple, but 
the the way you play it such there's basically nearly an infinite number of moves to be had on this because of the uh, the way it's played it's even more uh, there's even more combinations than in a game like chess which only has sort of a, a, a relatively finite number of moves right. this is well, a very chess, chess is played on an 8 by 8 board go is played on a 19 by 19 board so even though there aren't different kinds of pieces yeah. the permutations uh, just get much much larger when you multiply it out now go isn't played very much uh, in in the west uh, you might be familiar with other you know simpler derivative games like pente or othello or, or common parlor games here but go has been around for thousands of years and is still uh, played through a lot of of asia and uh, alpha go the google program took on and beat the european uh, champion a few months ago and is now taking on uh, the player lee sadal who is renowned as uh, the, one of the great go champions of all time he's the highest uh, the highest ranking equivalent to a chess grandmaster they acquire different don points and he's the highest level nine, nine don master they're playing a, a five game series and alpha go is as of yesterday now up two games to zero yeah, I mean, we, we should. Yeah, we should point out that that series isn't over. But if uh, Sadal is going to win, he's got to he's got to win the remaining three series in this five game series to to do it. So chances don't look too good now, and and he has been dominated thus far. But it it does show how uh, skilled this AlphaGo program has become at this game. It, it's basically uh, unbeaten right now. If you look at the past year against these sort of grandmaster players, and it, uh, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it uh, won the remaining games in this series. But that we won't know that until the uh, the weekend. Right. So this story is still in development, but getting it out there so you can now check by the time you hear this podcast. So you probably check the results of the matches over the weekend and see how AlphaGo is continuing to uh, to progress in this essentially a world championship match in Go. But what impressed me here is a couple of things. One is it's it's not really the same kind of look ahead algorithm that we'd associate with Deep Blue and in, in beating Gary Kasparov in chess in 1997. Right. This is really a more classic machine learning kind of thing where the the grandmasters will say that go is played by intuition or feel now certainly there's a amount of look ahead of saying well if i go here this will happen but uh but this is a, a machine learning type of approach like like we saw the the joshua computer do in the 1980s movie war games where it's playing tic-tac-toe against itself over and over again learning the the game that's essentially what what AlphaGo has done here right yep. is it's played against itself ad infinitum to get better and better teaching itself the concepts of the game and the result has been that it's come up with some imaginative moves that the human expert players uh, that it's playing against or who've been watching and commentating on the game uh, haven't expected Right. I mean, they they looked at some of these moves, at least one of these moves, and they couldn't understand it at all. It didn't. It said uh, basically the person said it. It didn't look like a human move at all. No human would have made that move. And yet AlphaGo determined through this machine learning uh, uh, process it went through that that was the move to make. And uh, it was sort of an astounding thing. Even the commentators on the 
on the match that, that didn't make any sense. It might have been a mistake, but uh, sure enough, it wasn't. He uh, AlphaGo ended up winning that match. Yeah, the circumstance of it was that there had been some abandoned pieces from earlier in the play that were off in one corner of the board, but then play had developed in the opposite corner, and that's where all the action was taking place. Then suddenly AlphaGo went and played a stone back in the other <laughs> in the other corner, and uh, Lee uh, Sedol actually got up and left the table, came back, and then contemplated his next move for 15 minutes, trying to figure out what was going on, but the relationship had evolved to the point where uh, the stone in the other place now had a, a greater advantage. What I like about this the most is that Sodol himself had a, a renowned earlier championship match where he played something imaginative that no one else had expected uh, related to what's known in Go as a broken ladder where you get this string of, of uh, surrounded stones that are playing out in a in a very foreseeable way. It's it's the broken ladder is is known as a, a trap for amateur or beginning players where you feel like you're you're making these string of good plays, but ultimately it leads you at a disadvantage and you have to break out of these broken ladders. He actually followed a broken ladder all the way across the board to where it connected into previously abandoned pieces and actually wound up leaving him at an advantage. And it, it was an interesting parallel to me that the human in that case had found an imaginative play that no one else had expected. And here you saw the computer do the same thing against a player who had been renowned for doing that previously. Right. I think it shows you the power of machine learning to, to actually mimic what a human might come up with, maybe not in, a, in the exact manner, but sort of in a similar type of creative way. It's not obviously the algorithm is creative, but the machine learning techniques mimics the creative process in that sense. Now, we should also mention we, we don't know what the underlying hardware is uh, on this particular match. The, the match back in October, apparently Google used a system that consisted of uh, about 1,200 CPUs and about uh, 170 or more GPUs. Um, they might have upgraded that hardware for this particular match in, now here in March, but uh, no word on what that is. I'm, I'm Pretty confident they're still using at least some GPUs for this, but maybe even a, a bigger system than the, the match back in October. Well, and you know, by our normal supercomputing standards, that's not you know this enormous system. I think it's right. a better display of the artificial intelligence than the hardware itself. Although the use of the GPUs is noteworthy here, it is. Uh, yeah, and and definitely worth tracking. So <laughs> there goes another thing humans used to be better at. Yeah, that, that, that's another. One fall, and I guess I mean we, we've talked about obviously we've talked about the chess and Jeopardy and now Go, but I mean some things have been going on in the background. There's the computers playing checkers and other games. I don't think there's going to be any human game that that will not yield to this, these machine learning techniques. I mean they 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 mimic sort of the process so well that I think eventually all of these games are going to fall to uh, to some sort of algorithm or another. How are they at doing podcasts? Uh, that's a different sort of game. I think that's that's a little bit further in the future. Hopefully, hopefully for you and me. All right, our jobs are safe for another week, so <laughs> yes. that'll wrap us up. We'll be back next week, Michael. So that's good news. But for now, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to this week in HPC. You've been listening to this week in HPC. 